it blew my fucking nads into my nostrils. You're still listening. This is our final transmission. We're here, Sam. We're here. How's it going? Up the punks, Jamie. Doing great. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. It's a uh, it's a weird feeling talking about the film that we're going to talk about. I think, for my money, no spoilers, but this is the the first film that gets punk right. Nino, Nino, the punk police are at your door. Yeah, uh, I think it does punk. Uh, a real fucking service, a real, a real kick in the ghoulies in a good way. Yeah, there's a couple of like punk films that have been pretty good recently. Um, Uncle Peckerhead, which we're not going to talk about mm-hmm. today. Well, maybe it, in in a sort of cursory way, which which I think is great. Uh, I so I watched that in lockdown, and it made me want to go on tour again. Yeah. Um, did this <laughs> did this make you want to go on tour? <laughs> no. So, oh, fucking hell. Oof. Yeah, so we're going to talk today about Jeremy Saulnier's Green Room, mm. which is... Yikes. Yeah, punks in a place, the place is bad. That's the synopsis. Um, <laughs> we're in maybe not quite horror territory here. We're in, like, horrific thriller territory, I would say. Sure, but for my money, the scariest movie we've done <laughs> so far on the Final Transmission podcast. Uh, well, yeah, I finished this film six minutes ago. <laughs> I'm fucking shaking right now. I'm still scared. Because, like, it's particularly for, say, me and you, like, this is something mm. that could happen. Oh, God, it's way too fucking close <laughs> to home. It's painfully close to home. That's kind of why I wanted to, to talk about it with you, because I thought I could maybe try and drag some sketchy tour stories out of you as well mate this is real fucking squeaky bum time for me i was upset i didn't relax for a second during this film i sat on the very furthest forward edge of the seat in front of the tv with my head in my hands for 80 minutes of this film just leaning forward slowly rubbing my temples it was seriously uncomfortable but fucking spoiler alert coming in like a rocket ship here this is a fucking spectacular film. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you texted me, I guess when you just started it, saying, this promoter is a bit familiar. And I, and I didn't want to be like, okay, mate, just wait. <laughs> oh, God. I really thought it was going to be a lot more playful. Like, I, I, this is just like preconception stuff, not getting into the movie yet. But you're right to, to, to bring up immediately that Punk is, is being painted almost correctly in this movie. But I I expect it not to be, so I expect fucking Scott Pilgrim or some shit. Do you know what I mean? Like, I expect... Here's, like, a wacky, zany horror. There's going to be, like, vampires or some shit. It's going to be fine. It was... It blew my fucking nads into my nostrils. This was super-duper fun times. Yeah. So have you seen any of Jeremy Saulnier's other movies? Or was this your first trip down Saulnier Lane? I've only seen Blue Ruin, which I loved. I can believe that. I, I think yeah. <laughs> similar to Bug, I would put Blue Ruin as a as a Sam as a Sam Russo movie. I loved it. I loved it a lot. Um, and am I right in thinking? Uh, no, I'm not right in thinking. 
Cool. I shouldn't think. You've, you're wrong in thinking. <laughs> this, That's this, why they kept this, you in the shed for so long. <laughs> yeah, they fucking did. They kept me locked under the floorboards for too long but then that's why i missed a lot of uh, a lot of this guy's work i think is because of my my time under the floorboards tell me a little bit jamie you seem like you're itching to shed some light on this dude i just think he's a he's an amazing director one of those sort of new voices that is doing things on in low budget film sort of itching on the, the sort of the breakout space obviously he directed a couple of episodes of true detective hmm I know that you love True Detective almost as much as me. In that Huge fan. That first season, at least. I like the second season, third season. Also. I love the second season. Yeah. But I didn't like the third season so much, but... I liked it. It was fine. It, it felt like a bit of a retread of the first season. Um, But there's a new season coming out later this month, so that's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, is that the, the Night Country season? Yeah, which, unfortunately, is is unrelated to the to the book yeah but it's it's too fucking exciting right there's so much um icy wintry goodness around this show that's really really tickling my nips yeah so i came to jeremy saulnier through his sort of first feature which i saw before jeremy saulnier was was a, a thing that people knew about or like sure before he had like the blue ruin hype under his belt and that was Murder Party, which is a real fucking hoot. And I love it right. so much. Just like this super fun, super dark, normal guy versus like hipster douchebags movie. Oh, I, I, if, if anyone out there hasn't seen Murder Party, Sam Russo included, I recommend that you go away from this podcast after you've finished it, obviously. And Good advice. watch Murder Party instantly. It's incredible. Brilliant. I think, um, I mean, you could pitch the plot of Green Room as uh, normal people versus hipsters. <laughs> it would be a stretch. Well, who are the, no <laughs> are the normal people, the Nazis? Or are, they, or are Nazis I mean, hipsters? compared to, who would you rather hang out with, hipsters or Nazis? Well, I love hanging out with you, Sam, and you're my little hipster Nosferatu, so. Correct answer. Well played. <laughs> Nosferatu, uh, uh, much contrary to popular opinion, was not a Nazi. I'd like to put that out yeah. there into the world. It's almost there in the name. Not for Nazi. Oh, not for Nazi. What's great about this film from the from the get-go is that you realise pretty quickly that the Nazis are the bad guys and that hopefully they all die. And that is a great place to start any movie, I think. Yeah. Let me drop a synopsis and we'll go take a break and we'll come back and get into it properly. So this film follows a punk band called The Ain't Rights, which is a little bit on the nose. For the name of this punk band in this film. Yeah. But they're a great band. They sound like exactly the sort of punk that I love. Mm -hmm. That sort of fast, thrashy 80s punk. They look like real punks in as much as they don't have mohawks and shit, which is like a worry that you think about with with movie representations of punk bands. SLC punk. Yeah. And well, I mean, at least SLC Punk has Jason Siegel's character, which is that sort of more Descendants hardcore character, which rings a bit true. They obviously knew some punks when they were making that, but yeah. Jeremy Saulnier, I believe, was was in the scene before uh, writing and making this. So yeah, this band called The Eight Rights, they're on the tour, they're sort of siphoning gas across America, uh, and a gig falls through, and so they end up at this weird sort of rest stop 
venue for punks where they witness a crime uh, committed by what appear to be a big gang of neo-Nazis and all hell breaks loose from there. It's a great synopsis. Well, I'd watch it. I mean, you did. <laughs> Literally just did. <laughs> great synopsis. Let's let that settle in while we just take a quick break for a... What are you gonna have on? What are you gonna do on your break? I'm gonna have a a mulled wine. I might just uh, listen to Nazi punks fuck off by the Dead Kennedys. Let's do that. Whoa! Holy shit! I guess that's why they call it Phantom Power. Jamie. Sam. I know for a fact that you really like 4152 by Sundowner, released by Red Scare Industries. It's an absolute banger of a record. One of my all-time favorite acoustic records. I got some great news for you. It's being re-released, reissued on Sexy Special Vinyl uh, by Red Scare Industries this year. And you can buy it with your hard-earned cash from Red Scare Industries. How do you feel about that? I feel great. So I never picked it up on vinyl when it first came out. Um, and I'm not a big variants guy, but like the idea that I can get it on vinyl now, I can, I can, well, I can tell Kaz to get it me for Christmas. There's, there you go. It's a dream. It's a perfect, perfect, wonderful dream. Yeah, and Red Scare classically doesn't like or do variants either, because uh, you know, as a label, there's a a sentiment that you shouldn't buy shit just to resell it. You should buy it to love it. So yeah. this record is being put out with love. For the low, low price of $41.52 with a full bundle. That includes a t-shirt and the, the sort of icy white blue variant of the record. Uh, what a mega treat. Yeah, and if you buy it, you will love it. It's an yeah. amazing record. Stunning. I'd go as far as to say genre-defining piece of uh, punk-influenced acoustic poetry. Yeah, I think we wouldn't live in the world that we live today if it wasn't for this record. I wholeheartedly agree. There'd be lots of people not making very good acoustic music without this record setting the bar incredibly high. Absolutely. So buy it. Where can they buy it, Sam? They can buy it at the Red Scare Industries online web store. Um, so go there and fucking buy it. Yeah, I think it's redscare.net or something. That's the right? one. Yeah. Well played. You were asking for a specific URL, and there <laughs> you have it. Redscare.net. Check it out. Yeah, so Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. Yeah, get stuck in. You know you want to. And we'll go back to the podcast. You're basing your appraisal of this band on one one song and a cover, right? Uh, they play two songs. Oh, do they? And a cover. Yeah, they play a song at the beginning. Mm. Mm. The song after they play Nazi Punk's Fuck Off. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're great songs. And it's a good great songs. A good version yeah. of the cover. And it and it to me, it feels like a real punk band. There's real punk band energy there. Mm. Wait, are we recording? Yeah, yeah. We're we're back, by the way. Um Okay, sorry. But yeah, I think there's just something really true to life about the the the, the way that they play. I think they're not playing live in the film whenever mm. whenever we see them play live but it has that real sort of live frenetic energy i, th- I believe all the actors are really playing and singing mm. on the recordings and I, th- I think that's great i love i love shit like that i i believe their performance 100 percent, which is the first time i've ever said that about a punk band in a film i don't even believe real punk bands who end up in films <laughs> like fucking none of it and and they have that tight taut speedy edgy 
out of place against the grain energy that you crave yeah. in a live punk band, I think. And yeah, they're they're, thro- they're a bit throwbacky in a lot of ways that feels a little bit on the nose, but there's so much so much more about them that gets revealed throughout the film that feels way more true to life. So I think it's perfectly pitched in terms of you know them being a real band. I, I totally believe it from the second you see them on screen. Yeah. In that very troubling first scene. <laughs> I found that really terrifying. They wake up in their van in a cornfield, uh, the driver having just fallen asleep and driven into the cornfield <laughs> and just ran out of gas asleep in yeah. the night. Well, I feel like that's the best way that that could play out. Absolutely. <laughs> the only way anyone walks away from that. Yeah. Tell me how much of this movie landed with you. How much of how many times during this movie were you like, oh my God, this is this could happen to me? Oh, there were a few times where I like had to roll onto my back and kick my legs in the air and silently scream into my hands. Uh, <laughs> the most pleasant of which, uh, when they're siphoning gas to get to the next venue, uh, I, I had a memory of um, when I was a kid, my cousins were in a, a uh, you could say a punk band, and they were they would tour all the time, and they would always come and stay at our house if they were coming anywhere near where we lived. And I was maybe 13, 14. And they would uh, they just let me hang out like I was a grown up. And yeah. there was a there was like a petrol strike or a petrol shortage or something while they were on tour, and they didn't have any petrol. So me and my friend Billy hatched a plan that we'd go we'd walk like fucking five miles to a farm and siphon a load of pink diesel from tractors, Ooh. and then we would go and give it to them, and they could put it in the van and carry on. And it was like the fucking perfect plan. Like the the diesel worked in the van. They were absolutely astonished at our ingenious thievery there was like high fives galore like they were blasting music as they pulled away we, we like saved the fucking tour it was amazing so i had a great siphoning gas memory which i mean that's also balance. the the plot of like the the finale of this movie isn't it that they basically yeah just, it's being sort of set up that they look like that they were siphoning gas from a farm and were killed by dogs that could have been you sam yeah you could have had your killed throat- by the farmer yeah you could, have had your, you could have had your throat ripped out by angry Rottweilers. I could have. And, you know, great cameo from the farmer in this movie, mm. uh, Big Farmer. I think, I, <laughs> I mean, it obviously was fucking dangerous doing that. But at the time, it was like, we got to keep the tour going. I was yeah. a child, you know, I just wanted to keep wanted the rock and roll dream from... alive. Exactly. That was very much my philosophy. And the the only other time that I had to like fucking pause the movie and go in the other room and stare at the floor for a minute and think about my life choices <laughs> is the second those dogs are introduced. Because I was on tour with Bangers once and we had to sleep in the venue. We had to sleep in Club Scheiser in Berlin. <laughs> we, we put our sleeping bags behind the amps and because we, we didn't have anywhere to go. We had nowhere to sleep. We had no money. And we were asleep and the, the club got uh robbed in the middle of the night so people burst in and we're, we're going to steal the money from the bar i guess but before they went in themselves they sent in dogs oh god and these dogs came like running behind the amps and were i'd be lying if i said i didn't get a little bit bit <laughs> so they were like grabbing the bottom of my sleeping bag and like tugging at it and i got like because i was sleeping in my boots i wasn't an idiot i got nipped and i was like what the fuck and i jumped out of my sleeping bag and immediately went into like fight the dogs mode and that was the moment I realized they were emptying the till and running out the door. And it was only drive 
uh, Andrew, who woke up during this, Rue and Hamish slept through it. Uh, and then we both sort of sat with our heads in our hands, drinking Club Marta, realizing that we could have been eaten alive by dogs in our sleeping bags or beaten to death with baseball bats. So that brought back some memories. <laughs> oh, dear. I mean, what about you? This must have uh, this must have ignited a few synapses, uh, <laughs> either sheer terror or I think, blind amazement. I think it's more like that this very easily could happen. I don't think I've got oh, any yeah. like true nightmarish tour stories like mm. like this, but I think there's always a worry that you're. I remember going to Holidays in the Sun mm. when I was I don't know maybe sixteen. For anyone that doesn't know, it was the sort of the big punk festival in Blackpool. It's called, what's it called now? It's called, is it Rebellion? Yeah, Rebellion now. It was right. Holidays in the Sun for a long time. And then it was called Wasted for a, a couple of years. And then it became Rebellion. And I was there. And I feel like I was one of two people in the entire place that had long hair. And everyone else had right. mohawks or no hair. Which, you know, I eventually became that. I remember watching, it was the Dead Kennedys were playing and they were, they were on directly before the business. And when they played Nazi punks fuck off, all of the skins that were in the crowd that were there waiting for the business just started like throwing up Nazi salutes. Wow. And I'm just there in the middle of it. Obviously Jello Biafra is not there. And Brandon Cruz from Dr. No doesn't have the same gravitas or the same uh, power to be able to be like, mm. yo, you Nazis, stop doing that or we'll kill you in the face or whatever. So it's, I'm just surrounded by these fucking 400 red laces, skinheads with these huge fucking bomber jackets, all having Nazi punks fuck off screamed in their face while they're throwing Nazi salutes. And like that just could have gone so, so badly for me, the one guy in there that was like, hey guys, maybe don't do this. And I'm like fucking 16 years old. Do you know what I mean? It was just yeah. like, so yeah, just the idea that like as a touring band, you can sort of wander into the wrong place and say the oh. wrong thing and then get your hand basically cut off with a machete. You, you could have been kicked to death yeah. quite easily. Uh, you could have been kicked into fucking pink cottage cheese by a bunch of Sieg Heiling Nazi fucks. And do you know what? People probably would have been like, eh. yeah, he was asking for it. <laughs> he had long hair. Like, like literally. Sorry, the world is so fucked. People would say that. I mean, in terms of being in the wrong place at the wrong time and feeling quite out of place, I've played a lot of quote unquote very redneck bars. Yeah. I played places in the south of the US where people have holsters with guns in them uh, and t-shirts with some spicy phrases on the back I, I mean i've i've definitely gone places after shows where i've thought whoops better drink this and leave uh i definitely <laughs> went into a fucking single story dive bar somewhere like fucking oklahoma city or somewhere once wearing i was shirtless i had an american flag as a cape and i had a vietnam veteran hat on <laughs> i was just asking to become dead yeah. I, everywhere i went on that tour i was stoking a fire i had no right even being near but yeah you think to yourself afterwards like wow that could have gone differently i've jumped off the roof of a venue onto the roof of a moving van like so many things that could have ended in death and this movie takes all of that anxiety 
and crumples it down real small, crystallizes it, and then just fucking chucks it back in your face. It's a brutal distillation of all of your anxiety about being in a band. Yeah, I wonder if this plays to, like, non-punks. Well, this is this is what I was thinking while I was watching it, because it's obviously striking a lot of chords with me and ringing a lot of bells with me, but I'm thinking a lot of this isn't actually that mainstream at all. Like, when they're playing Nazi punks fuck off, you can hear the chorus, so you get what's happening. But the larger resonance of that and the history of the song and all the things you know about the the famous performances of it, etc. I think that people would miss that. And I think it's really brave directorially to stick it so true to yeah. punk music and, and to make it so resonant with quote-unquote real punks because that's going to alienate an enormous amount of your audience. So what's punker than that? <laughs> yeah. Did you, <laughs> it's a great move. Did you know that that was what was going to happen when Anton... Corbin, that's not his name. What's his name? Yelchin. Anton Yelchin. Yeah. Did you know that that was what was going to happen when Anton Yelchin has the idea and he's like, hey, I've got a fun idea. And then it cuts to them opening the set with Nazi punks fuck off. No, and here's why. It's too fucking real a move. I wasn't ready for that because that's what you would do, right? That's what any of us would do in that scenario. Uh, Well, all right, we'll we'll get to that in a minute. None of us would end up in that scenario. (laughs) But, you know, I thought they were going to do something camp. Like, I thought they would appeal more to, like, the homophobia of the room than the racism necessarily, Mm. which, again, would be what I would do. But that brings me to my next point. Who the fuck takes that gig? Like, who arrives, looks at it, and goes, okay, there's a lot of bomber jackets, shaved heads, and oxblood boots. Maybe these guys are just Sham69 fans. You can forgive that. You get past that, you get to the door, and you see some SS tattoos, and you're like, nope goodbye and you leave immediately you don't need to get to the part where there's fucking swastikas everywhere and white pride flags and fucking shit written in obscure semi-cyrillic alphabets everywhere like you don't need to get that far into the venue before you go nope tours over i mean what what were your thoughts there i mean they're they're young yeah i think the film does it in quite a quite a subtle way so we start off and like you say Mm. it is just a couple of scary looking dudes in bomber jackets with, with shaved heads. And then but like, obviously we're watching a film. It's called green room. We know it's going to be a bit of a challenge at some point. Sure. But like it sort of teases out those like super Nazi elements quite slowly. And to the point where like, they think it would be funny to sing Nazi punks fuck off rather than like, if we sing Nazi punks fuck off, we're going to get killed. We're going to die. Yeah. And to be fair, they don't, kill them because they play Nazi punks fuck off. They try and kill them because they saw a girl get murdered. Yeah. So what you're saying is credit to the Nazis. They didn't kill the (laughs) band for playing Nazi punks fuck off. They killed them for seeing something. They shouldn't have. Exactly. (laughs) To be fair, they they play Nazi punks fuck off and everyone's like, oh, wow, this is annoying and shit. You're telling me to fuck off. But then they play their next song and everyone's like, you know what? This is hard. I'm into this. These guys are onto something. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, uh, it is subtly done. You're right. And you only really realize the gravity of the situation when they've started their set, when you see the flags and you're like, oh boy, any yeah. venue that quite openly has swastika flags hanging in the fucking music room, uh, you probably shouldn't be playing. You definitely shouldn't be playing. If I'm honest, from my lived experience i'd have been out of this fucking show the second the promoter suggested it when he's like play your old stuff don't talk about politics (laughs) i've been like i hear what you're saying and i'm out see you later 
Fuck me. It's so... I'm sweating talking about it. I'm genuinely... My back is wet. Well, just you, thinking about the horror of this situation. How many times did you play the windmill in Brixton? Oh, God. Close to a dozen, I would yeah. say. You remember how the owner of that had trained the dog that lived oh, on yeah. the roof called Roof Dog to bark at black people as they went past? We... We played those gigs at that place with a with a dog that we knew was racist. Yeah. And presumably had been trained to be that way by a a racist owner. Like, I don't know if a dog just does that. If a dog's like, I've got my own agency, so I'll <laughs> I got my own ideas. Sure, they're not popular. People would say they're not very progressive, but I'm my own dog. Fuck this. I'm, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do me. Yeah, I don't think Roof Dog was to be held responsible for his racism. I think that was <laughs> largely the fault of the human owner yeah. who sucked. But like we like we we still took those gigs knowing that or or yeah. at least assuming that there was a a level of horrible racism in that in that owner. And and like we didn't even have the balls to open with Nazi punks fuck off. So I can't even play that song. Yeah. It's too hard. <laughs> It's really fast. It's it got a lot fast. of words. A lot of good words. I can barely play. The musicianship of the Dead Kennedys is fucking unreal. People don't talk about this enough, so I'm hijacking the podcast to do it. The fucking... My God, East Bay Ray. Those guitar parts are pure 300 mile an hour surf rock with added like layers of distortion and really clever effects and everything's really nimble. Nothing happens twice. It's fucking amazing the shit yeah. that guy pulled off on guitar. I mean, the whole fucking band. I'm not taking anything away from the rest of the band, but they those are hard songs to play for a bad guitar player like me. And fuck me, the hats off to the Dead Kennedys on every level, apart from, from the second Jello stops being involved. Yeah. And then like Jello also falls apart after he stops being involved. Yeah. Did you, ever, did you ever see the no WTO combo? I did. Oof. Rough, Not rough great. hang. Some good podcasts and some good social commentary coming out of Jello, but not a lot of great music. No. I mean, you can say that about everyone after their their biggest and best band, really, can't you? Like, who the fuck really listens to Rollins' band seriously? This guy, I, right, I, I, I love. You would. I love <laughs> Rollins' band the same as I love the same as I love Danzig. Like, oh god. Okay, that brings me to my next point. Imagine how many records these guys sold after nearly all of them were massacred by Nazis. Yeah, that's a, that's something I hadn't thought of. Like the uh, what happens after the credits roll when Pat and Imogen Poots' his character, his name Amber, after they sort yeah, of if go. Your name's, if your name's Poots, change it. Yeah, Imogen, <laughs> Imogen Poots' it up her ass change it yeah I, I i i did wonder that and i did think you know maybe they carry on the tour as like a synthwave duo maybe they're so fucking hardcore they watch their bandmates get eaten by dogs and then they carry on the tour yeah i just i wonder how many records they actually had as well because like they they were all about much like i was at the start of throwing stuff but i don't mm. want, i didn't really want to be a band that recorded or like I just wanted to be a live band. Obviously that's not really yeah. tenable in a in a world where you need to get gigs and do stuff. Sure. But that was always my thinking. So I wonder how many records they've even got to sell. I, I mean, as the only punk in throwing stuff, I think you're right to ask that question. I, I think I think Ben is the most punk of us all. Don't be ridiculous. Ben's the least punk by I, a mile. Listen, point being 
probably not selling many records based on how the how the tour was panning out which makes them even greater in my opinion and i think at the end of this when everyone's been imagine everyone in throwing stuff gets eaten by dogs or machete apart by nazis except you oh i imagine it all Those the time are gonna fly <laughs> i think about <laughs> yeah, it every day <laughs> those fucking teas are going like hotcakes i think we're onto something here we've got a new marketing plan guys <laughs> yeah the performances in this film as well. Like, I really buy these people as punks, and they are definitely not punks IRL. No. Yeah, this is great acting, because acting like a punk is the dumbest, stupidest, most pointless thing you could possibly do yeah. with your career or your life. And I think if you do that well, you're showing more fucking scope and range than a lot of douchebags in Hollywood. And we got to give a big shout out to Anton Yelchin here, because I think his performance in this is fucking phenomenal and he's dead and that sucks because i really 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 fucking like this guy a lot yeah and i think he had so much going for him and so much to give Chekhov, like star trek is one of my favorite characters of all time and i just think he fucking brought that shit back to life in a way that i couldn't think of anyone else who could do it as well so tragic death tragic loss we love anton yochin and in this movie he fucking nails it he's the most believable sort of sheepish timid intelligent punk you know that's kind of a cliche right but he he's he just fucking smokes it but it's only a cliche if you know about punks like if you True. know real actual punks that live in the world whereas like if you're a moviegoer or someone that just sort of knows that punk music exists you're expecting yeah. fucking sid vicious sid vicious or heroin mm. bob or like those sorts of characters there was like one other movie that I think sort of really nails punks as like actual punks. The thing that it gets wrong is the title. It's The Sound of Metal with uh, with Riz Ahmed. Yeah. Wow, what a movie. Amazing movie. And like that like power violence like grind band that they're in. It's like it's yeah. so real and so great. But like obviously the fucking title of the movie is The Sound of Metal which fucking rubs me up million wrong ways because they're not a metal band they're a power violence band and like i just thought it was like symbols because he's a drummer but i think i think there is a double entendre there a double entendre. yeah you can lean into the accent jamie we can be douchebags we have a podcast yeah it's true we do have a podcast a double entendre. yeah but does that mean we get to say people's names in the in the, the appropriate accent. You know how people say like chorizo when they want to say chorizo. I say, so you get to be like, I don't know about that, but I definitely say chorizo. Chorizo? That's a new one for me. Well, like I have this argument all the time. Like when people say jalapeno, right? Mm. Which is the correct way of saying it in, mm. a, in, a, in a British accent. I think I say guillotine quite a lot. Right. And everyone's like, it's just say guillotine. But like, right. It's a guillotine. You say jalapeno, you say quesadilla. Why wouldn't you say guillotine? Like, yeah, I don't get it. I think people are just comfortable saying things that are said a certain way by everybody else, and uncomfortable breaking that. I don't know. It's like the band, the Great Red Scare band, Guerrilla Poubelle. That's how you <laughs> you have to say it. But everyone says Gorilla Poubelle, and that sounds really funny to me. So I insist on saying Guerrilla Poubelle. Gorilla Poubelle. <laughs> Is is gorilla poo bell? Yeah, it's three funny. three funny things all in a row. I think we we have to say Imogen Poots and Don Yilchin 
and Patrick Stewart uh, from now on. Because True. We got to say it in the the appropriate accent. So we've we've just sort of brought Patrick Stewart into this, which we hadn't mentioned. Here he is. Hadn't mentioned yet, which is sort of like Hi, how Patrick. he's how you do how he's introduced in the movie. Like yeah. it's so unassuming that you've got fucking Patrick Stewart, and like they don't linger on his face at any point, and you don't really get to see him until like after the moment he comes face to face with the band and the door opens, and it is such a terrifying performance until it's not. The idea that Patrick Stewart would do your little movie about like Nazis versus punks in a venue, it's, it blows my mind. It's amazing. What a great... It's, yeah. What a great performance. It's almost... A, it's astonishing from the second he comes on screen because it's so out of place. And my immediate thought was, oh no, this is going to be shit. And then it was not shit at all. I was really worried. Not because I I love Patrick Stewart. Next Generation is like some of my favorite TV ever. Mm. And I, I love basically everything he touches. But at this point in his career, I was a little bit skeptical. I got to be honest that he was going to pull this off. Suddenly, Patrick Stewart is the head of a heroin dealing Nazi woodland cabal. Uh, I'm going to take some fucking proving on this. Uh, and he, four seconds in, I was like, well, that was a stupid doubt. Let's fucking go. <laughs> Isn't he just incredible? And like, I, I can't overstate how insane and amazing it is that he just, he's doing this. Like, mm. just blows my mind. It all, sort of, the shitty little nerd in my head is like, oh, I wonder if this is a, a holodeck experience or like whatever. Like, oh my God. <laughs> That's genius. Like, like holy those, fuck. Those fucking episodes where he's like Sherlock Holmes or whatever. Maybe he's like, I yeah, wish Data's I was. Yeah, going to walk in with a pipe. Like, <laughs> I wish I was have. a. I wish I was the head of a Nazi heroin gang. Just One... for a break from fighting the Borg, I'd love to be a fucking Pacific Northwest heroin dealing club owner for five minutes. It's how it's how Captain Picard gets his kicks, setting the dogs on teens. <laughs> and like, love it. What was the point of the movie where you were like, "Oh shit, this is the way that things are going to go." Like obviously you said that you um you thought there might be vampires or whatever in that sort of from yeah, dust or dawn kind of way. So like, what was the point in the movie when you were like, oh shit, this is this is real? I have to be honest. The moment that the the promoter said, "Go play my cousin's fucking Nazi barn" or whatever he said, <laughs> I knew it was going downhill. And then when they got there, I was like, oh, you're not fucking leaving. There's no way. There's going to be like, I I honestly thought it was going to be that they took touring bands, local bands, small bands, or like addicts or vagrants or whatever, and put them in a pit and Nazis beat them to death and ate them or yeah. drank their blood or something. Like that's what I have in my head when I think of truly psychotic Pacific Northwest, you know, groups of real Nazis living in the woods, because that's what these felt like to me. They mm. felt really fucking real. As soon as they started whipping out box cutters, I was like, oh my God, they've done their fucking research. They actually know what these Nazi scum are like and what they really do in real life. And I was t terrified from that moment onwards. I didn't believe a word anyone said. I knew everything was a fucking trap or a setup. I was right on the physically on the edge of my seat from that second onwards. Did you? Did your spidey senses tingle earlier, later? What were you feeling? Well, I think the moment when Pat put Hadwick tries to hand over the gun and just gets mm. severely hacked up. I think on, on my first watch, I was like, okay. This is where this is going. And it is one of the most mm. horrific visuals I've ever seen in my life because it just, 
again, it, like it, it feels really real, and it also just feels like a thing that could happen to me in my life. Oof. And that's... I didn't do a real like I wasn't about to vomit, but I did like a real like oh fuck yeah. when that hand came back in half chopped off like fucking jeepers and like it's, it's sold so much and like it just looks like mm. real cuts and it's not like spurting like a Japanese like it's not itchy the killer it's just like this this guy's arm's been sliced to ribbons and there's like another yeah. moment like that when is it Big Justin has like been knocked out or is dead yeah. Uh, like choked to death and uh, Imogen Poots character wants to check that he's dead by just like mm. whipping the box cutter up his belly. Oh my fucking God, man. She just unzips him. It's absolutely horrifying. I just, I never seen shit like that in my life. That was some of the best gore effects, the most realistic, the most utterly convincing yeah. naked light of day gore I've ever seen in my life. And that was the coldest, most frightening moment for me is when you see her character go from being like a scared, upset, cornered, probably slightly Nazi misled young woman to being the kind of person who would just unzip a large man on the floor with a box cutter. Like it was guerrilla warfare from them, guerrilla warfare from then on. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, I, I sort of think that she doesn't really mean to do that she's just is like i'm just gonna give him a little cut to see obviously it's a box cutter it's the sharpest fucking thing in the world so like it just yeah, like right. what's the word when you cut someone from sternum to chest disembowel yeah it just like fucking disembowels him like yeah oh, oh, oh. oh god it's chilling it's, it's chilling that whole from the moment that arm comes back in the room to the moment she unzips that dude I'm fucked. I was reeling. I, and I didn't... But this is this is where the movie fucking works. I don't want people to think this is just a gore fest. It's sparing, it's necessary, and it's really cleverly done. Because from then on, I'm braced for the goriest movie I've ever seen. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, I'm thinking, oh God, this is just going to be like... Tw the next hour of this is just going to be horribly uncomfortable budget spaffing gore. And it's not that in the slightest. It's no. the polar opposite. Yeah, phenomenal. For like the next, I don't know, ten big gore effects all happen in the dark at night, so like you don't yeah. see anything until that guy gets shot in the face mid sentence, which super blows your mind. Literally, yep. Everything else is really like you see it. You see the the dude's neck as he's been chewed out by the dog, but like it's in the dark at night with just like mm. a little bit of subtle lighting, just so you can catch like the edge of it, so you know that something's different there. It's yeah. Oh, it's really good. The little sort of stab effect on like the two punks that they, or the two oh, Nazis, yeah. where they just like try and fake this stabbing. Oh, I mean, again, all of that, like all of it playing into this very real notion of what modern neo-Nazis are like. You know, they are fucking devious. They are dirty fighting, sycophantic little boot-licking fucks. And everything that happens in this movie plays into that perfectly. Yeah. It's 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 really quite fucking affirming to see these scumbags behaving the way they do and to know that it goes out to a big audience because you're like, see, that's what they're like. <laughs> like yeah. It validates it. If there are any Nazis listening to this, stop listening. I mean, they probably stopped listening anyway when I told the, the cops to stop listening because they're the same people. Um, <laughs> if there's any Nazis <laughs> listening to this, uh, why is my first quote. research maybe like, maybe maybe they when, were ne don't say your address jamie don't tell them your name jamie <laughs> maybe they were um they thought we were a cool apolitical podcast with with bangers that went hard but it turns out we 
played Nazi Punk's fuck off really early in the set. So now... <laughs> yeah, it could be. Spoiler alert, we're not Nazis. <laughs> um, I, that's the thing, right? That They do a really great job as well of not just, you know, uh, I don't know what the word is, like not turning them into 2D Bond villains. Yeah, they're not cartoony you know, at all. It's not like no. Boris and Natasha. I mean, obviously those are Russians, but like, it's not like sure. that Hogan's Heroes or whatever. Yeah. It's not like that. It's like, these are real, real people. And like, they have moments where you're like, okay, these are actual humans. Sure, they're Nazis, but they're representing human traits and emotions. They're not just put there for you to hate and focus loads of, you know, uh, kind of like vicarious rage into. We see that some of these people are fucking horribly misled. And, you know, it does appeal to your human nature not to just dismiss every character and want yeah. them to die because they're a Nazi. You know, a lot of these people have like little SS tattoos, like peeking up above their, their collar line. Or they have like something behind their ear, and it it it's really artfully done that you see that in a moment where they're behaving like a human, so that you're conflicted. Yeah, because you know, as much as I hate to admit it, a lot of these characters are humans despite being Nazis, and it's real fucking hard work as a viewer to stay, uh, I don't know, just to stay rational throughout the movie, and yeah. it really challenges you in that way because nobody wants to fucking side with a Nazi, no. and nobody wants to give a Nazi an inch, but you're fucking forced to in this film and that's why it's so clever and that's why it's ultimately uh, you know a compassion piece in my opinion you know it's 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 pushing you real hard in a lot of different directions but the ultimate goal of this movie i think is to make you uh less of a dick yeah i think like the nazis being human beings is is like the strength the ultimate strength of this movie and that's why it's better mm. than if it was like Nazi cannibals that put you in a pit and eat you, or vampires that are just the dawn, or like whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like this is real human, scary people that are just doing things because because they've been told to by yeah. this authority figure. And like, what else is there to do in this fucking Midwest woods? Like, I never, but I hate that argument when people are like, "Oh, I started," you know fucking being a nazi because i live in the middle of the most beautiful part of the world like, like fuck you dude go for a, buy a fucking flannel and go for a walk you piece of shit like <laughs> no you're not allowed that you have great bars and a coastline and beautiful birds and great trees and wonderful weather so shut the fuck up and go get those tattoos carved off by a fucking broken bottle in an alley you piece of crap i, I agree <laughs> I, 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 I don't mean like this is an excuse i just mean that like if, if you're it's in an a, excuse a lot of people give though right yeah. and i never fucking i don't buy it oh no. i live in a small town therefore i'm a nazi fuck you dude we're all living in small towns not all of us are nazis well like i, I think about the shit that, that i would get into when i was a kid and like i know yeah. that you got into some shit when you were a kid too yeah just because there was fuck all else to do and like if someone came along and was like here's a bunch of cool shit and like sort of slowly wean you into being a fucking Nazi. Like it can happen. It happens all the oh, time. Yeah. Like slow radicalization where you think. 100%. Yeah. I don't think, obviously, once you get an SS tattoo, fuck you. But like, mm. I don't think that it's necessarily. Like the, 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 some of the, the Nazi people in this movie are like 16 years old. Yeah. Like they, they have no agency they're just like these are people that i look up to and they're nazis same as like american history x like yeah. edward furlong's character 
is basically a piece of shit because he looks up to his brother who is, you know, a shit here on the Nazi. Yeah, I think, you know, people need people. And in this situation, these kids are surrounded by Nazi people. And therefore, they are, you know, just led into some horrific shit. I think if I was a kid and somebody... Like, if I was 13 and somebody got me into ice hockey and taught me how to skate and put a stick in my hand, taught me to shoot a puck, and then they were like, here's this other thing we do. It's called Nazi. I'd have been like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> so I would have really struggled to separate the two. When I was 13, I did get into ice hockey. I used to play for the Tougher Tigers under 15s. And, like, I was so into it for so long until I got a pretty shitty injury that means I can't really exercise anymore. And, like, if at that point they were like, Oh, by the way, we hate the Jews. Like, I'd have been like... Well, what would you have done? I'd have been like, I, okay, I guess that's normal, I think. Of course we do. Of course we do. Look at us. We're, the, we're that ice hockey team that hates Jews. Yeah, that's, that's our <laughs> that's shtick. That's we do. But that's the thing, right? That's the thing about radicalization. And we're, we're joking about it, obviously. But it's... It's uh, it's it's poison in that way, right? It, yeah. You're lured in and you're trapped, and then you're you're bred or you're you know like a dog. You're fucking taught. You're just trained, and that's what's so menacing about Patrick Stewart's character here is that you know he's the mastermind. You know he's the bank. You know he's the like at least we're led to believe in the beginning he's like the untouchable guy who doesn't get his hands dirty, mm. and that's the scariest dude, really. You know the foot soldiers are always horrifying and really frightening in a immediate visceral way but the top dog is always the one that you fear the most and who the fuck else would you want to be that guy in this movie other than patrick stewart it's genius casting it is because like when you think of a bald actor with gravitas mm -hmm. he's the only actor that you could ever think of and like the idea that like okay we're looking for a, an actor with no hair who could deliver this sort of strength and performance Obviously, the first person you would think of is Patrick Stewart, but you'd be like, he'd never fucking do this. He would never yeah. sign up to be a Nazi in my fucking movie. <laughs> so, like, the idea that he does it and he fucking brings it, oh, it's, yeah. it just blows my mind. It's amazing. You, uh, hold on. Do you think in casting they said, we need a bald guy? Yeah. Why do you think that? No, no, I think, I think that they were thinking about people, actors with gravitas that could fulfill that role. And, like... If you're if you're casting a skinhead or right. an aging skinhead that maybe doesn't have hair anymore but never did because they were a right. skinhead, like the first person that you would think of would be this guy would be Patrick Stewart, sure. but like I, I feel like that's just the the person that you picture in your head when you're writing it. Like this guy has this depth, this gravitas. He's able mm. to be menacing, but also like quite avuncular and like friendly in some situations. Sure, that like. That's Patrick Stewart to a T. But the idea that he would actually do it is yeah. just unfathomable. I guess it's not unfathomable because yeah, he did it. But like, Yeah, but it's pie-in-the-sky bullshit, yeah. right? To be like, guess who's going to be the bad guy in my movie? Patrick Stewart. What's the budget of your movie? 5,000 bucks? Like, yeah. It's ridiculous. But it, it, oh my God. It's one of those amazing, wonderful, perfect things that just seems to have fucking happened yeah. in the world. In a just you world, know. like the... Or in a world that represented actual reality, that yeah. that character would be played by some fucking seventh string Sons of Anarchy actor. Do you know what I mean? It'd be Rollins or some shit, yeah. right? Rollins has a track record of being a Nazi in movies, blah, blah, blah. And it would be boring. Like, sure, fine, Rollins, pull it off, great. But for it to be 
A-list League of Legends Patrick Stewart above the gods actor. Holy crap. Yeah. It's a it's a, a hoot and a half. It's mind-blowing. It's a hoot and any. And nobody lets the side down performance-wise in this movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't see a single second on screen where I was like, ah, you fucked it for everyone. Everyone is pitch perfect. Nobody's over the top. Nobody's fucking pulling any punches. Everyone's bringing 100%, you know, fucking real deal, full-on career-defining performance for me. I think everyone is superb in this. Yeah. I, I think what stands out in this, and like... It- Feels a bit of a cheat because he's in all of like Jeremy Sonny's movies, but Macon Blair is mm-hmm. is is incredible in this. I read that he had to audition, like basically wasn't really? just, just given the role as like you're in all my shit and we're good friends. So I think Jeremy Sonny didn't believe that he had the the nuts to play like a Nazi. And like the character that he plays ends up being, you know, a Nazi with no nuts. So like it sort of works out in the end. But I don't know how much of yeah. that is the make and black performance versus like what was on the page. Um, a very cool performance, I thought. Yeah, Just like the the believable. the Nazi that seems like a nice guy. Do you know what I mean? Like, how the fuck do you do that? Yeah. Dude, that's so hard. And he, yeah, just a lot of facial acting again. Like, just just brilliant. I think um, Alia Shawcat d- destroys this movie. Like, she's so good. Yeah, and every every scene where they're all trying to rationalize what's happening and come up with a plan in the green room and they're all talking through tears do you know what i mean they're all so hysterically frightened but they're just about holding it together enough to communicate with each other and try and put one foot in front of the next she just leads the emotional tone of those performances so perfectly she steps back a lot and she's almost kind of in the background moving around the edge of a lot of that stuff and it just feels like the heart and soul of all of that green room stuff until she fucking dies brutally is is led by her and and Pat Anton Yochin. Two like absolute standout performances for me. Yeah. Like you say, every performance is great. Everyone is really believable as being this punk band. Everyone is really believable as being people in this situation. Like it mm. never it never gets ridiculous. Like there are two choices here. You fight or you die. Like Yeah. That's what the paintball story is all about, right? Which I think is mm-hmm. a bit is a bit silly. It's a bit like a movie speech, but like it works out and it sort of plays into the movie in a fun way. But like yeah. we never we never get into like stupid cinema decisions like we talked about before, like the line from Scream, like so is a, a blonde woman running upstairs when she should be running out the front door. Like the only place that's safe to them is the green room, so they have to just keep going back there. It's almost a bit Scooby Dooish, like. Yeah. Every time they leave and they try and get a bit out of the way, they lose someone and they just hightail it back to the green room. And it's so, so believable. It's like this little oasis with only two dead people in it rather than all of their dead friends. Like, yeah. But the yeah. whole time you're like, you're in that moment so much, the movie pulls you in so well, that you, the whole time you're thinking, what the fuck would I do? And you don't come up with anything better than them. Absolutely Guaranteed. Not. I wouldn't have thought to go through the fucking floor. Are you kidding me? I would have lost my... Opera- Classic Russo. I'd have grabbed the gun and blown my brains out. <laughs> I would have just been like, nope. No, see ya. Too fucking real. Like, And the fact that they run back to the green room every time, the, the second or third time I was like, you should go... So- there is nowhere else to go. I had to correct myself immediately. Yeah. Like You're constantly questioning their decisions and getting to the point where you're like, nah, you're fucking right. Like... What the fuck else would you do? Just a great movie. And it looks amazing as well. Like it's shot. Oh. Obviously, Jamie Sonnier, 
makes movies that look like this. Like Blue Ruin has a very yeah. similar thing. The, the episode of True Detective that he was involved in and True Detective as a whole was was very was very much shot in like these same hues. We, we're, we're playing with, with dark versus light a lot. And so the contrast mm. is always really high. We're playing with black versus white. Like it, it's, it's, it's just really beautifully directed, really well mm-hmm. shot, really well put together. I don't think there's a single moment that I would change about this movie. The only things that I would ever change are in the moments when I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, I wish I didn't just have to see that. But like, yeah, you have to see it because it's, it's the point. Yeah, I love how he shoots the van. There's so much love for the van yeah. in the way that he shoots this. This is a guy who spent time in a van and knows what it means to bands to to live in that way. And, you know, there's a great fart joke. The There's loads of really beautiful scenic moments. This is all like being in a band stuff, do you know what I mean? Or anyone who's traveled in a van and, yeah. and existed hand-to-mouth out in the middle of fucking nowhere knows that these moments are the things that keep you going. You know, when the guy says... Uh, I can't remember exactly what the deal is, but he's like, the the gig pays uh, lunch and uh, like 50% of the door or whatever. I was like, yeah, you take that immediately, yeah. don't you, right? The offer of lunch and then everyone gets six bucks. Let's go. <laughs> like, There's so much wholly believable realism in all of that. There's no way this guy hasn't, you know, at least tagged along with a band for a while. Yeah. I think there's like, there's, there's so much like, tiny character stuff in like in the way that it's shot as well like there's a moment where one of the nazi kids is like in the driver's seat or the passenger seat of the van mm. um and anton yelchin's got a gun on him and he starts yeah. to walk around to the other side of the van and just gets his like shirt caught on the fucking wing mirror and it's like yeah. yes that is the perfect thing to happen in that moment like yeah. he's got no idea what he's doing he's just a guy in a situation trying his very best to make his arm not fall off like it's it's beautiful it's and they're all like anti-gun obviously they're all like then i mean they will defend themselves but they're not like you know a a gun-toting lunatic band and they're probably like bookish post-hardcore nerds yeah i mean and they're they're thrust into a situation where they're forced to literally fight nazis for their lives it's such an interesting premise and like you said one of the strengths of this movie, I think, is how awful it could have been, but how fucking out of this world great it is. Yeah. It just, it doesn't slip into any traps. It's super aware of of all of that bullshit that it could do, and it just bins it off and goes straight ahead full speed, which is the fucking definition of punk, right? Literally, <laughs> like, yeah. It's it's uh, it's a work of genius, man. It's I think it might be the best, in my opinion, the best movie that we've covered on the pod so far. Wow. Uh, it's definitely one of my favorites. Uh, I'm really sad that I haven't watched it with loads of people I know who would love it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just ping it out to as many people as I can find. Like, it's so fucking good. Yeah, up there with the best punk movies ever made. Up there with Suburbia. Up there with Repo Man, which is probably my favorite movie of all time. Yeah. Up there with well, light years ahead of SLC Punk. Ah, uh, SLC Punk is fucking junk. I hate that movie so much. Don't enjoy a single second of it. I, I, this is like another planet compared to that. This well, is like comparing fucking Blue Planet and Bluey the Dog. That yeah. was a bad analogy. <laughs> <laughs> Take it back. I think SLC Punk is meant to be about a bunch of fucking posers though, right? Yeah, but who the fuck wants to watch that? I don't want to watch the story of a bunch of posers. I want to watch the story of a bunch of punks being marauded by insane Nazis. That's the shit. <laughs> 
You could have done that, SLC Punk. You chose to be douchebags. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Did you ever see the sequel to SLC Punk? Fuck no, I didn't. You've oh. asked me that before. My answer remains the same. No. It's just a big, hard fucking... I love Matthew Lillard. Don't get me wrong. Love him hard. Not watching that fucking movie. Yeah. Nope. Okay, shall we take a break and come back and wrap up? Yeah, let's do that. Cool. Come on, man. Does that thing even work? No. There's nothing out there. It's just dead air. So, we're back, Sam. Hi, Jamie. And I've got a question for you, Sam. Go on. How can these bunker chuds in waiting out there in podcast land how can they support the podcast oh listen up punks there's a lot of ways you can get behind this pod number one reach into those grisly holy dirty greasy jeans and pull out a couple of drinks tokens and then go trade them for pound coins or dollars or whatever your native currency is and then subscribe to the patreon because we have a bunch of junk over there that you're going to love. Bunker Chuds, Gore Warlocks, and Wastoids celebrate, because we got some great shit coming your way and some historically wonderful stuff stacked up in wait for you. Uh, if you're not feeling frisky enough to, to give us any money, that's fine. What you should do is follow us on Instagram, at FT Horror Show, and on TikTok, if that's how you choose to live your life, at FT Horror Show. Beyond that, you can just lean out your window right now and shout, you there, boy, at the nearest person on the street and tell them about the podcast. Yeah. Uh, you could write about it on your live journal. Uh, you could hire a seaplane to fly a banner over the beach. <laughs> Jamie, over to you. What, what can they do? I mean, next time you're playing a venue full of Nazis, make sure to tell them that they shouldn't be listening to the Final Transmission podcast. But anyone that isn't a Nazi, they're welcome to, welcome to jump on board. Also... Whatever you're listening to this on right now, pop it out of your pocket, open it up, press your, your code, your four digits, or whatever. This is a waffle shit, isn't it? Fucking hell. <laughs> blow by blow, step by step account of how to open your smartphone. Take Jamie Carruthers. Take your phone out of your pocket, put it in your hand, use your other hand or your face to open it, depending on how techno technologically advanced it is. Open up the podcast listening app, which you're listening to this podcast on, once that once that opens, press the five stars or the four stars or whatever you think the podcast is worth. But if it's not five stars, we're not friends anymore. It's five. And then if- This if, is a five-star podcast, people. Come yeah. on, everyone can agree on that. It's a five-star movie, right? So the podcast should be five stars regardless. That tracks. And then if you're also feeling a little bit fruity, a little bit like you've got some shit to get off your chest- why not write a little review while you're there? And if you disagree with us about Green Room or any movies that we've covered before, why not ping us a little email at finaltransmissionpod at gmail.com and we'll read it. And if we disagree, we'll disregard it. This could be when the floodgates really open because we've talked about punk and that makes people angry. Whenever you say anything about music, especially punk, people get very upset that you're not saying exactly what they think and feel. So to those people, I say, fuck you, bring it. Send me an email. I'm just excited for emails to be like, uh, actually, Nazis aren't bad people in real life. That could happen. Uh, there are people out there who believe that. 
We could get we could get emails saying that Anton Yelchin's performance is not good in this film. Well, Can you imagine? No, I can't imagine that. I think we'll get yeah, many yeah. more emails from our listeners saying that Nazis are good people than we'll get saying that <laughs> Anton Yelchin didn't didn't bring it in this movie. Speak so highly of our fan base. Yeah. <laughs> Nazi sympathizers. <laughs> they, they might be Nazi sympathizers, Sam, but they can rec- recognize a good performance when they see it. My guys, fucking A right. <laughs> So this movie is fantastic. Mm. It lands on every level. Everything that anyone does feels like a thing that would happen in the world. I can't take my eyes away from it when it's on. I've watched it three times in the last six months. It's just an absolute fucking mind-blowing amazing well put together movie full of people making decisions silly decisions but the real life decisions i've got a question sam so do do you know the scene where like the guy sticks the other guy with the knife so they can sort of explain away the stabbing yeah and that that knife stabbing doesn't look that bad have you ever thought maybe i could stab myself and get out of work for a few weeks I would do anything to get out of work for a few weeks. Stabbing myself is relatively tame compared to some of the notions I've entertained over the years. I've thought about it a lot. Like, you can't argue with being stabbed. And, like, if you could stab yourself in in a certain place where you're like, okay, I know that this won't have any lasting damage apart from maybe a cool scar for the time that Mm. I got knifed in a bar fight or whatever. Like, I've thought about it. I think that I, I, I thought about it a lot. To the, to the... I think you can you can do better, dude. I, they make women who've had cesareans go back to work after like fucking a month or whatever. <laughs> you're not getting out of it unless you're, you know, constantly hemorrhaging. I think you'd be better with something like, oh, I've got meningitis. Or like just some, like, oh, I've got fibromyalgia. Something where they can't prove you haven't. Yeah. No one's going to come around your house and roll a tumbler on your rash. You can just keep saying I've got meningitis. I mean... Uh... At some point of having meningitis, you either die or you get better, right? Yeah, but a stab wound, I don't know. If I'm a hard-ass boss, I'm thinking, yeah, whatever, dude. you got stitches, come to work, deal with it. Yeah, fair enough. But yeah, so I think this is a great movie. I have- <laughs> <laughs> a hard pivot back, sorry. Yeah. I wasn't ready. It's just really good. It's yeah. beautiful to look at, horrible to sit through in the best way possible. Just an absolute fucking barnstormer. I wholeheartedly open fist salute this movie. It's it's incredible. The best movie yeah. about Nazis since Schindler's List. You were skipping over Inglorious Bastards. People love that movie. Do you like it? Uh, I, I don't really go in for Quentin Tarantino's revisionist history nonsense. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I like Mike Myers in it. I enjoy well, yeah. I enjoy them, but I don't I don't know if I'd say I like them. Mm. I think Quentin Tarantino is a fucking blowhard. He does blow hard. <laughs> like a <laughs> such a fake laugh. <laughs> Fuck you. We promised we'd never lie to each other. <laughs> yeah. What other good movies about Nazis are there? Think about good Nazi movies, Sam. Oh, everyone loves fucking those Indiana Jones movies. Oh, yeah, um, those are Nazis. I mean, any, like, war movie where we're the goodies and they're the baddies, you know, everyone loves that shit, too. Yeah. 
I don't fucking know, man. Like, American I'm, History X, we've already mentioned, but obviously that's... Uh, true. I mean, these guys, strictly speaking, I hate to be that guy, but not all of them are Nazis. Do you know what I mean? A lot of them are... And this is, again, why it's such a nuanced take. They're white supremacists or... They're those kind of fucking, I don't even know what the name is for these people, but the people that say like, we're not racist, we're trying to preserve the white race. You know, they're like, uh, yeah, whatever those dicks are. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of those slogans around. And at one point, Patrick Stewart, oh my, you want to talk about a brilliantly written script. There's a part where Patrick Stewart says, uh, if you want to come to the racial advocacy workshop, yeah. that is exactly the kind of shit you see on those fucking flyers racial advocacy workshop it's a fucking nazi rally and you know it yes but that's why it's nuanced because we're not we're not just saying here they all are they're nazis they're all seek heiling and wearing fucking you know jack boots and i don't know doing all those nazi things that we love they're they're painted like real pacific northwest neo-nazis or uh you know whatever they call themselves white nationalist whatever the fuck and it feels real because of that language and the way that they're they're put forward and that makes it scarier yeah i feel like sort of the moment about the racial advocacy workshop like that that happens and then like maybe two minutes later in a slightly different scene patrick stewart drops his first n-bomb and it's like yeah, this is the this is the outward face, and then this is the inner face. We're talking about yeah bad heroin that's laced with fentanyl. Yeah, and when he's on stage, he's offering them free drinks and free entry, right? Yeah. So he's he's doing that like, haha, I'm your guy. When he says N word, dope. Yeah. Is he talking about the dope that they sell to people of color, or are they talking about the the the, the heroin that the people of color make, and therefore is is bad? I think he's just talking about his heroin. I think that's like classic, uh, you know, drug manufacturer view of what they're doing, right? They're they're just well, no, because I think because he doesn't he he gives bad heroin to cowpuncher or whatever they're called, right? So they all die, right? And one of them doesn't die because he doesn't take the heroin, yeah. But they all like overdose because I guess it's laced with fentanyl or something that would kill you, and he refers to that exclusively as n-word dope mm. i'm not sure if i'm comfortable even in this context saying the word saying the n-word word so, n-word word yeah the n-word word <laughs> dude cow puncher what the fuck what a band name everything about this feels too real yeah the band names feel real the fucking song titles the fact that they use uh what is it fleischwolf is the is the fucking cue when they play that song to stab that woman backstage? Fucking hell! No, so Fle- Fleischwolf oh. is the cue for them to run away for Daniel and oh. the other girl to run away. It's like one of their songs. Is it called like Toxic Evolution? And he was like, "Oh man, that song was hard. That's the one I did it to." That's the one he killed her to. Ooh. Yeah, fuck Jesus, that guy is terrifying. You've met that guy, right? A hundred times. We've all met that guy. Yeah. Oof, horrifying, and never. Uh, anywhere other than England. That guy is an English guy. <laughs> that guy is an English Ooh. guy. That guy hangs yeah. out in like pubs in Burnley and is yep. sort of vaguely friendly with my dad. Fucking Jesus Christ. Horrifyingly calm. I remember getting chased out of a pub in Stoke once <laughs> just for, I don't know, being too fucking gay or something. Me and, um, who was I with? Mike Scott. This guy, the way he got us out of his pub was we were playing pool and he came over and he just said, Excuse me, mate. 
and calmly took the pool cue out of my hand and then just stood there slowly, monotonously banging it on the pool table until I left. Yeah, I've had an almost identical experience to that. Just like, Ugh. just guys that are like, that would walk over and calmly say, you don't belong here, mate. Yeah, time to go. I remember walking into a pub that was doing karaoke and someone was doing My Way by Sid Vicious. I think we were walking past the pub and we were like, hey, this punk's, this pub's got punk stuff on karaoke. Let's go in there. And it was, mm. I think, 6.30 p.m. And, we, and I walked in, me and a mate, and they were like, sorry, lads, pub's closed. And I was like, it's very clearly not closed. And they were like, pub's closed to you. <laughs> Jesus Christ. There's nothing scarier than that calm, psych. What's the word? Like, it's like a calm. Surface of the lake is completely still, and underneath, you know, there's a surging beast rising to the surface. And yeah. If you say the wrong thing, it's gonna fucking eat your boat. Oh, God. me and Jules went to a pub once. I'm not gonna. I'm trying not to name any pubs. We went to a pub and we maybe got as far as like drinking half a drink before somebody just came over to me and like ripped my wallet chain out of my waist and started like wrapping it around their fist. And people were just pushing us towards the corner of the pub in broad daylight. Again, broad daylight felt safe, wasn't? Yeah. And that second, the pub got raided. A load of cops came in and were like, everybody over to this side of the pub. And we just fucking ran out the fire exit and never looked back. And I think to myself quite often how differently that could have gone if those lovely boys in blue hadn't showed up to raid this fucking heroin pub. I would 100% be dead right now. Fuck. Isn't the world a scary place? Yeah, it's fucking terrifying. And movies like this don't help, dude. Yeah, that's why this movie works is because... It's not vampires, it's not cannibals, it's not fucking weird Appalachian mutants, it's just fucking real people that exist in the real world where if the wrong thing happens, this movie plays out in real time. Fucking yeah. great movie, I give it 8 out of 8 slashes on Anton Yelchin's wrist. Ooh, owie, owie, owie. Yep. Wholeheartedly agree. I'm not going to add anything to that, really. It just, I really think it's about as close to perfect as a movie of this genre is that I've seen in a really long time. It, it was fiercely entertaining, taut, horrifying, edgy seat thriller stuff with the added layer of, holy fuck, I think I've been to that bar feeling <laughs> the whole way through. Yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't get much scarier or more entertaining as far as I'm concerned. A fucking fantastic triumph of a movie and thank you for getting punk right thank you so much yeah. <laughs> brilliant i'm never letting my mum watch this movie <laughs> sorry sally but you're missing out on a on a banger there yeah yeah but you're not allowed it's uh too real too true too hardcore much respect to everyone involved in this movie as well like i know we, we can sit here and like fanboy over a movie and get all frothy about it but this is this is crafted beautifully absolutely it, nothing doesn't work everything it must have been hard as fuck to make this film i got so much respect for them for pulling it off and for it being relatively mainstream it's on prime do you know what i mean like well fucking done standing round of applause for me for this one massive massive hit yeah absolute fist in the air like it's a it's fist a, in the air in the land of hypocrisy yeah it's a hit it's it's bro him it's not fucking it's bro him <laughs> it is yes it is Yes, it is. Fuck yeah, bro him. It's bro him. <laughs> bro him the podcast. 
I, I like everything about this film and there's a lot of it that I love. So bang it on your fucking list, stick it up your image and poots and let's go crazy and kill some Nazis. And some dogs. Oh yeah, that sucked. That was rough. That was a rough hang. I just hit my mic. I was so sad. Sorry. Bad dogs though. So, you know, gotta kill them. No such thing as a bad dog, bud. Just a fucking bad owner. Well, that's true. But if it's biting at my throat, I'm going to hit it with a shotgun. You're going to say, bad dog. Gently cry bad dog as my innards spill out onto the floor. Oh, we didn't talk about the moment where the guy like drags her across the floor by the knife in her head. Ooh. Fucking hell. Yeah, I'll, that's rough. I'll leave you with that image. That's the end of the podcast. Good night. And Thanks, everyone. Happy hunting. <laughs>